Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today we are joined by Eric Francis, who covers the Flames for Sportsnet. Thanks so much for taking the time and coming on, uh, Eric. I really appreciate it. How's it going? Hey, thanks for thanks for having me, um, Eric. I, I, on this show, we we ask when we have journalists on, we ask them a little bit about their career. And and for you, Eric, when did you first think you might want to pursue a career in sports journalism uh, or hockey journalism? You know, it's funny you ask. Like there was a moment in my life. I remember the morning it happened. I think I was like 13 or 14 and my mother's a journalist, a very successful journalist. She's written like 10 books and she was, you know, quite a, she's quite a reputation nationally. And, uh, and every day I would read the Toronto star sports section, even from age like 10 on, I just couldn't, couldn't stop consuming sports as a young man. And, uh, and my mom one day kind of said to me, well, maybe, maybe one day you'd like to be paid to go down to Maple Leaf Gardens and, and watch the games. And no sentence in my life has ever had an impact quite like that. Uh, I knew that day that, wow, marrying my love and passion for sports, you know, I play every sport there is pretty much, and mm-hmm. sports has dominated my life. And to be able to marry my love for that with a career sounded incredible. And I saw the lifestyle my mom led as a journalist and, uh, from that moment on, all I ever wanted to do was be a, a sports writer. And uh, the TV and radio stuff, that's come ever since. But that wasn't the goal. The goal was never that. The goal was just to be writing for a newspaper about the National Hockey League. And uh, lucky for me, I, I got to do that. And and so I always tell kids when I go to like talk to kids at career day and all that in high schools or, or even at university journalism classes, I would say like, you get you have such a leg up in this world when you know what you want to do because everything that you do can be focused on that. I I know it's hard for so many people to decide what they want to do with their life. Some people never figure it out. Uh, I feel so lucky that at age 13, 14, I knew what I want to do and it made it a whole lot easier to chase it down. That, that's awesome to hear. And, and for you, like you said, at 13, you kind of knew what you wanted to do and, and following in your mother's footsteps. Tell us a little bit about your journey to maybe where you are today at Sportsnet. Uh, well, I went to Carleton University. They have a, a great journalism program there. And uh, and I got hired right out of that. I mean, while I was there, I was working for the Ottawa Sun as a coffee boy, a copy runner, a proofreader, uh, all these jobs that don't even exist now. And uh, But it got my foot in the door, and I would write everything I could all four years of, with the school newspaper, just anything I could do to, to get more experience and learn the craft and uh, – and then eventually just kept kind of moving up. And uh, and then when I graduated university, uh, the Calgary Flames, the, the, or sorry, the Calgary Sun, run by Ken King, who went on to be the president of the Flames and everything. But uh, he hired me. He was the publisher of the Sun. He hired me to cover the CFL. Hmm. And the uh, funny thing about that was I'd never seen a CFL game in my life. I, you know, growing up in Toronto, you know, the CFL was – going to a game was a punchline. It wasn't something you actually did. And it's still that same way in Toronto, unfortunately, because I've grown to love the CFL and uh, I love covering it. And then from there, you know, a couple of years later, I was lucky enough to be turned into a columnist and I've been a columnist now for, you know, almost three decades. So been around a long time, got to cover pretty much every sport and every event there is in the world and uh, couldn't be happier. And I, I feel particularly blessed because of the way newspapers have gone and they're all but dead right now. 
And uh, I feel like I kind of hit the, the tail end of the golden age where they sent people around the world. I went to cover the British Open, Olympics all over the world, you know, these things. And they don't do that anymore. And it's sad, but uh, I'm glad I got to take part in that. Do you have a favorite moment of your of your career in terms of covering a British Open or the Flames or anything in particular? Yeah, you know what? My first Olympics that yeah. I, I remember going to the opening ceremony and I went like two or three hours ahead of time. And I knew like the whole world would be watching the opening ceremony in an hour or two. And I called every relative I have. I have a very small family. I called all my closest friends. I'm like, and it was emotional for me. I was like, I can't believe it. Like I made, I felt like that was that moment when I made it. And, uh, and, and, you know, years later I got asked to do uh, the hot stove on hockey night in Canada. I did that for a couple of years. And mm -hmm. the first time I went on hockey night in Canada, I mean, again, I didn't even dream of that in my lifetime. But uh, the first time I went on and it went really well, uh, that was probably the most exciting evening of my life, you know, career wise. Just couldn't believe I'd been on Hockey Night in Canada, sitting there with Ron McLean and Mike Milbury and, uh, and, 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 and pulled it off. So, uh, yeah, those are those are two that come to mind. And I want to go back a little bit to your writing, because that's something you've said is, is kind of your first love in, in, in the sports world. For you, what is your writing process? Like, how do you, like, what's your process for writing? Yeah. I have a pretty simple approach, which is uh, you better grab them earlier. You're not going to get them at all. I mean, there's so much, I'll call it noise. I mean, I hate to say what we do is noise, but, you know, there's so much out there for people to consume. Uh, if, if you're, say, a Flames fan and you want, for, you want to see what my perspective is on something, my thinking is you better grab their attention right away or else they're moving on to the next person's column or or piece on the Calgary Flames. Uh, so I try to come up with something interesting right off with the first sentence if possible or certainly in the first grab, whether it's an anecdote, something humorous, something emotional. But you better grab them early is my attitude because, uh, you know, and, 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 and I'm always trying to make sure I don't write too long. I always marvel at people who write, you know, 1,000, 1,500 words. Like, nobody's reading that. I, I hate to break the news to people who write that long. People are not getting that far. I know that. I don't read that far. Uh, and I love, you know, consuming media every chance I get. So uh, keep it tight and get to the point really quickly is kind of my attitude. And and with that as well, obviously, you're around, you're, you've covered the Flames day in and day out. How do you develop and, and maintain relationships with players and management, but also write critically and, and honestly about the team and the players. Yeah, it's that's the balancing act that, you know, I've been doing for, I've, I've been on that tightrope for 25 years. And uh, it's a tricky one because, I mean, look at, you know, again, with the demise of newspapers, I, there are really only like a handful of columnists left in the business in Canada. Uh, you know, as a columnist, I'm a columnist and I, I've made my living out of having opinions, strong opinions. And uh, obviously I can be polarizing and there are lots of people that, that don't agree with me on a lot of occasions. And I get that. Um, and in a room, that's tough. You know, I've covered the Calgary Flames now for the better part of three decades. And really, uh, I think they've been out of the first round, I think three times in three decades, four times maybe. Yeah. Not a lot of glowing things to write about the Calgary Flames. The organization is first class, no question about it, but, the teams, the management, the players over the years have been subpar for the most part. So I've been very critical. I'm certain I'm the most critical guy in this market 
for the last three decades. And that doesn't make you very popular sometimes, not just with a fan base, but with the players. So there, there was certainly a, a period there, uh, probably about 10 years ago, where I knew walking into that room that almost every player, you know, I don't want to say hated me, but I wasn't that popular. But that's not why it's, that doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm one of the few people in my, our business, I, I feel so blessed that criticism or people not liking you doesn't phase me at all. Like mm-hmm. it really cripples some of my colleagues and they really are scared to write anything with an edge to it or they're because they, they don't want to piss off the players. They don't want to piss off management. They don't want to piss off fans. That has never come into my mindset at all. I write what I believe from my heart and I can sleep at night. And the repercussions are of course, that a lot of people are not going to like you in a certain dressing room or maybe in a certain fan base. But if that, you know, that can't sway what you're right or, or otherwise you're compromising your integrity. And I want to move to last summer where I felt I was watching you on Sportsnet every day for about a month because of the, <laughs> the drama with Johnny Goudreau and, and, and Matthew Kachuk. And obviously they, they departed Calgary. What was that like for you to, to cover that? And was, yeah, what was just that experience like? Because it felt as though that was the craziest summer ever and maybe Flames hockey. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, didn't get a lot of time off last summer, but uh, no one feels sorry for me there. That's okay. You know, uh, I had taken a lot of heat in this market for for writing for years that Johnny Gaudreau would leave the first chance he got, and so it didn't come as a surprise to me that that he left. Uh, the Matthew Kachuk situation was an interesting one because I broke that story that that he wanted out and that they were going to trade him uh, several days before it kind of was made public that he wanted out. And, uh, and again, a lot of people come down hard on you and say, oh, you, you know, you don't know what you're talking about or whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, I, I, I knew, I knew it to be a fact that he wanted out and that they were going to have to trade him right away. Um, it was a tumultuous time. Obviously it altered the future of this organization tremendously and not in a good way. I mean, I've always thought Matthew Kachuk is a superstar in this national hockey league. I would argue that he's an absolute unicorn, no player in the league can turn a game around with more tools than Matthew Kachuk, whether it's a big hit, a big goal, an incredible pass, his mouth, <laughs> uh, or just him living rent-free in the kitchen of so many players in the league. Uh, guys, he's a special player. And uh, so, yeah, that was a that was an interesting time for the organization. They obviously didn't rebound very well from it. Uh, and we'll see how they, they, they go into the future without those two guys because it, it, it was certainly crippling for the organization. And I want to go to that this summer. Obviously, that there's the departure of Brad Trivliving and then the firing of Daryl Sutter. For you, what's next? Obviously, they're going to have to find replacement, but what's next for the Flames organization? Yeah, they got to find this general manager, and I'm led to believe it's going to happen pretty soon here. I know they've talked to uh, a number of people. I've spoken to several of the, the GM candidates that have spoken to the Flames, and, uh, you know, I'm fascinated to see which direction they go in. You know, they if they stay in-house, it's got to be with Craig Conroy, who's the people's choice here in Calgary. Yeah. Um, or if they go outside, uh, you know, there's going to be a bit of a PR issue because people in the city really want Craig Conroy and think it's he's done his time and he deserves it. So, I, I, I uh, but you don't hire a GM based on what the people want. That is for sure. So, mm-hmm. you got to hire the best person possible. And uh, there are a lot of pretty solid candidates out there. I'm fascinated to see which way they go. I'd like them to get it done sooner rather than later so I can get on with my summer and not have another summer like last year. But, you know, the process is a GM. And then I would assume within a week or so, uh, maybe two weeks, they'll they'll name their coach. And then, and then you know, 
There's also an election coming up here at the end of the month, and they're going to decide whether or not the UCP party gets in, which means the Flames will get their new building. If they don't get in, then the Flames are going to be 0 for 3 on building deals that collapsed, sounds like. There's so much going on. I don't plan on golfing as much as I hoped this summer, kind of like last summer. And and you had a really interesting piece on Don Maloney, and and you're talking about that you think it's going to get done in, in the next week or two in terms of a GM. What do you think he's looking for in terms of the next GM of the Calgary Flames? Well, he, he uses the term young and innovative a lot. And I I, I don't know if uh, there are a lot of candidates that fit that bill that are young and innovative. I mean, certainly several come to mind. A few come to mind right away, but like Kyle Dubas is the first one that comes to mind. But he's employed as we speak right now. Who knows, uh, you know, in the Maybe near future. He's got interviewed apparently by Frank Zirk. Yeah. What What's that? Brandon Prindham, like their assistant GM, just got interviewed by the Flames, apparently, according to Frank Cerevalli. So he's another young and up-and-coming person. Yeah, and there are lots of guys. And I, I haven't gone public with any of the names that I've talked to, uh, you know, for the job. But, to, hey, at the end of the day, uh, it, who they decide to be the GM will be, obviously, the architect for this organization for at least the next three to five years. It's a crucial hire. And uh, Don Maloney's been in his business for a lot of years. And uh, I would hope that him collaborating with the ownership group will come up with a guy who makes the most sense. And and then, then we got to find out, then we got to find out if, if this general manager believes in what Don Maloney's saying, which is, I still think this team's a good team and next year they can be a contender. Um, I actually think this team could be a very good team again next year, but the year after that, this team is going to have to start a major rebuild, in my opinion. And with that, obviously, last year, Mackenzie Weger spoke about how the team might need a new voice. They obviously let go of Daryl Sutter. What do you think the Flames are looking for in, in their new coach? Obviously, that's going to be after the GM um, search. But what kind of coach do you think the, the Flames need to, to kind of make them a contender next year? Like, I call it the Goldilocks hire. Like, uh, they've had a bunch, so many different coaches over the last 10 years, you know. Some are too hard on the players. Some are too soft on the players. You know, they need to get this just right. You know, the Goldilocks hire. So I think it'll be someone who's, you know, who commands respect, who's been there, done that. Players can look at him and go, okay, we know this guy's won at this level, uh, but also he's firm, uh, but fair. You know, those all sound very generic, but I think those are the qualities they're looking for. But I don't know. I have to talk to the GM, whoever they hire first, to find out what he's looking for. I think those are the qualities that fit the bill. Um, you know, I think a guy like Gerard Gallant would probably top the list of candidates, but there are so many guys out there. Do they want to go young? Mitch Love in the Calgary Flames organization. Do they want to promote within? Uh, I, I I can't even begin to guess who it might be until I talk to the new GM. And and in terms of, of the team, next year, what, what do you think? Is it just a new coach that needs to be hired or, or what else needs to change for this team to, to make the playoffs and, and be a contender next year? Oh, well, I, I think they're going to have to all get along. I think the players do get along and I think it's the room is pretty united. And this year they were quite united against Daryl Sutter. That was kind of the common thread that they all had together. Um, you know, they're going to have to buy into the system that the coach throws together and, and the system is going to have to work for them if they're and you know, this team, don't forget, is on, on paper, they should have similar to the team that they won the division with two years ago, of course, without Kachuk, without Goudreau. Those are significant changes, don't get me wrong. But 
I think this is a team that's definitely could contend for the division uh, lead next year, as is. Uh, but they've got to make us. They're, they're the first decision the general manager is going to have to make is what to do with Elias Lindholm. Lindholm is not going to come back to Calgary after next year. So you have to decide: Are you going to trade him like you did with Matthew Kachuk and get top dollar for him, or do you want to keep your best forward on the team moving forward for at least another half year, see how things go, maybe trade him at the deadline, or just take your chances and risk losing him for nothing like they did with Johnny Gaudreau? I don't think you can do that. So I think you're going to have to trade Elias Lindholm this summer. And I think there are a couple other guys that are going to have to trade very soon too, who are going to make it pretty clear that they're not interested in signing an extension past next year. And I, names like Noah Hannafin come to mind, uh, Michael Backman come to mind. Uh, you're not going to see many of these guys want to come back to Calgary and not, not because of any other reason than listen, I love Calgary. I'm proud to call myself a Calgarian, uh, but these guys have 31 other cities that they can choose from potentially. And they saw the lifestyle that Matthew Kachuk's living in Florida and how moving to another organization really paid off for him in every possible way. It's cold here. The taxes situation isn't great here. The arena sucks. There's a lot of reasons why guys will want out of Calgary and it's going to happen. Wow. Um, that's, that's really valuable intro, uh, information. I, I guess for you, do you think, because you mentioned the, the election um, in terms of how that might affect in, in Alberta, the, the new arena, do you think if they were, let's say the UCP were to win or, or even if the NDP were to go this, um, go with the, the new arena, that that would affect if players want to stay in Calgary? Uh, maybe to a tiny degree. It'll certainly make the situation better moving forward uh, in terms of guys who may want to sign here long term. But, you know, from the time this election ends and they get all the paperwork signed, if the right party wins, you're still looking at four years before this arena is even considered to be built. So, yeah. I, I'm not sure it has an impact anytime soon, but it does eliminate one of the many negatives to playing in a small market Canadian city like Calgary. And so that's good news if they can get it figured out. And I want to ask you a little bit about the team themselves and, and in terms of just the goaltending, I think that was probably the biggest problem with this team last year. And um, in, in your mind, who's who's the two goalies next year? Is it Vladar? Is it Markstrom? Is it Dustin Wolf, who's been amazing for the Wranglers? Who who will be the goalies next year for the Calgary Flames? Uh, great question. Ask the new GM. When it, that'll be probably one of the first questions we'll ask him when he's hired. Uh, Dustin Wolf, best player in the American Hockey League the last two years. Certainly, I think many people in this city, and I would agree that he deserves a, a shot to at least an open tryout during training camp next year. If he has a great camp, I think you have to give him a shot on this team. And, you know, Dan Vladar is a very valuable asset. I think that there's a lot of confidence that he can be, that he is uh, a real solid backup of the National Hockey League. And I think, I know the previous GM, I'm assuming the new GM will come in and see Jacob Markstrom as a potential top five goalie in the National Hockey League again, once his mind is cleared. Uh, there were a lot of things going on in his head last year. And the idea is if he clears his mind, he can return to being one of the better goalies in the National Hockey League. So I would assume, uh, let me leave it at this. I think that goaltending is one of the biggest strengths in the organization, if not its biggest strength. The okay. fact that last year the tandem was one of the league's worst was a bit of an anomaly. And I think you're going to see them both rebound. And I do think you'll see Wolf in the mix. And then if, if he is in the mix with regularity, that means Vladar would be traded. And he is an asset because he's they signed him to a two-year extension this year. Mm -hmm. 
And I want to ask you quickly about Johnny, uh, about, sorry, um, Jonathan Huberdo and uh, Nazem Kadri, who both, I think, were the, the big offseason um, acquisitions for the Flames. Do you think they'll, like, that's their poor years this year is an indication of who they are? Or are they, are they regressing with age? Or was it just a bad season for them? Well, it was a horrific season for them, you know, more so for Huberdo, of course, than Kadri. But uh, both of them, played less than inspiring hockey this year. And, and I think we know the reasons why. I mean, those two were two of the most outspoken players in the player exit meetings in terms of wanting to get Daryl Sutter out. And it worked. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, those guys combined for, I think, $17.5 million a year moving forward in salary for the Calgary Flames. So they their opinion does carry a lot of weight. And they were miserable this year. And they were confused. And they were they just didn't love – they didn't like the relationship at all with Daryl Sutter. So I think moving forward, you can expect them to play much better hockey. Certainly the onus now is on them. The, the the hurdle, as they saw it in this coach, is now gone. So no more excuses for either one of those guys. And I think people are expecting huge things from them again next year. I don't think Huberto is ever going to get back to the 115-point mark. I think that's a little unrealistic. Uh, you know, they played a very run-and-gun, you know, pond hockey style in Florida when he was there. Uh, that's not the case in Calgary. Maybe the new coach will want to play that way. I doubt it. Um, but, hey, a point a game is not too much to ask for a guy who's making $10.5 million a year with Huberdeau. And and with that, I guess if if you were, let's say, the GM starting uh, in, in a week or two, do you think it's best for this team to, to, to try to go make one more cup run in next year and then kind of blow it up? Or do you think it's right for the team to maybe sell assets if they know people like Lindholm and Hannafin and others are want to leave? Well, you can't, you, knowing that a rebuild is around the corner. And again, ownership is so hesitant to say that word. Uh, you know, the, the mandate here, very simply put, is to win now, always. And that, that clearly doesn't work. And uh, you have to, at some point, take a step back. Every cup winner in the last decade has had to do that at some point. So I would think that you can still try to win this year, but you're going to have to do it probably minus a guy like Elias Lindholm, minus a guy like Noah Hannafin, potentially. Um, you can still have a very strong core team moving forward. But I think as the season goes along, and especially if the season doesn't go well, you have a massive liquidation sale by the trade deadline and you start the retool on the fly midway through this season. Otherwise, if they get off to a good start in the start that I think they're capable of, then you're going to have to lump it and you're going to lose some guys for nothing. Uh, but at the end of the day, this organization needs to start making, they got to stop the trend of losing guys for nothing. That has to end because the rebuild is very, very soon. And do you think ownership and Don Maloney would be open to like a full tear it down? Maybe not Chicago Blackhawks style, but something in terms of that isn't just a retool, which it seems as though the Calgary Flames have done for, for so long. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you need a burning to the ground rebuild like like the Leafs or or like any of the teams that have won the cups. Like I said, over the last ten years, like Chicago and these, you don't have to finish in last place for two or three years in a row. I, I think that they've got enough young talent that are ready to step into the organization next year. Um, you know, Matt Coronado, uh, Jacob Pelche, these are going to be everyday NHLers next year, I would believe. Connor Zari might be in the lineup regularly. Connor. Uh, uh, Walker Dewar is going to be in there. Maybe Dustin Wolf. Like that's a retool on the fly, if you want to put it that way. And I think that gives you a good head start. And then some of the veterans, as they start getting moved out, you re you replace them with younger players. Yeah, there's going to be some growing pains. There may 
they may very well be some growing pains, but you still got Huberto, you still got Cadre, you still got a lot of veterans on this team that are going to be here moving forward because you can't get rid of them any other way. Um, I, before I let you go, I, I want to I ask you, uh, what do you think the expectations will be for the Flames next year? I, we'll have to see how they go about their business this summer and who gets traded, who gets moved out. Um, you know, if they do if they do sell off two or three major assets like Hannafin, Lindholm, uh, Zadorov, I don't know who these guys may of the seven guys. You know, I, I, that changes things a bit. But I think they're going to go into next season with a very similar team to the one they had last year. And I think that they're going to be a team that will compete for first place in the division all season long. That's my prediction. Now, I I uh, would like to reserve the right to change that opinion if they yeah. make significant offseason moves this year. But I still think, you know, this organization was has long been of the belief when Brad Trilliving was here that you build up the middle, goaltender, defense, and centerman. And I really think they've got a lot of really solid pieces in that in that vein. And if you can build around them properly – with more young players and more speed, I think that you can do this retool on the fly and be quite successful doing it. You may not get that first, second, or third overall pick that everybody's kind of craving, but I think you could be uh, a young team with some talent and uh, move in the right direction with with youth, which is kind of the way they haven't done it for a long time. And I want to ask you, because I, I always think it's fun just to, to end a podcast with do you have a Stanley Cup pick? I know that like the Oilers lost uh, last night, but who who do you think out of the, the? I guess there's five teams left. Who do you think will make the finals, and and who do you think will win the Stanley Cup this year? Yeah, I, Carolina to me is kind of my pick to win the cup. Uh, uh, I, I I, you know, I don't see the winner of the Dallas Seattle series being uh, much of a threat to Vegas, but I've been counting Seattle out like most people all year long, so. Uh, and, and and Dallas to me is is a hell of a team too. If, if Ottinger returns to being as hot as he was against the Flames two years ago, uh, I guess they they could surprise Vegas too. But uh, my pick will be Carolina to win the cup. Okay, great. Um, thanks so much, Eric, for doing this. And I want to give you the floor. Is there anything you want to plug? Any pieces listeners should kind of stay tuned for on on your end? No, no. Just uh, you know, I appreciate people who read Sportsnet.ca and watch the broadcast, and uh, you know. It'll be such a fascinating year. There'll be so many interesting storylines between now and the start of the season. So I hope uh, I hope they they you know log into sportsnet.ca and watch the broadcast to see uh, at least my take on uh, on what what happens moving forward, what should happen, what did happen, and what may happen. So I'm looking well, forward to I, that. Well, thank you so much, Eric. I hope it's a, a less busy off season. Although I think it'll still be quite busy at the very least. And I really appreciate you taking the time and and coming on the podcast hey alex thanks for having me good luck with it congratulations I've, I've seen and heard the podcast before and i see the long list of people you've spoken to in the industry and really keep it going my man i'll be listening thanks so much eric it means a lot and uh thanks again for doing this okay thank you man cheers